Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome, OT entrepreneurs, to the OT's Get Paid podcast, episode 76. Quote, therapists, I love us, but let's be real. We are some guilt-ridden MFers when it comes to our money, our time, and our energy, end quote. That is from the anti-work therapist on IG, and it is one of the many things that I've screen capped as we introduce the productivity series. It is the beginning of January 2023, if you're listening to this, and it is a traditional time to jump back into business, to ramp up your energy, to discuss future planning, productivity, all things fabulous, and I'm all for it. And yet, remember, one of my besties who's a mediator says we can't use the word but because it negates everything from, so we're not saying but, we're saying and. And yet, can we do this, friends, neighbors, peeps? Can we do this without falling into the toxic cultural narrative that comes around productivity? Let's remember the mission at OTs Get Paid and Trish Williams Consulting. The mission is to support and help those who are OTs, who identify as female or have a female identified experience, which is feeling marginalized and less than, and making sure that we give you back your time and more money in your pockets because we know what you do with that money. And our Two signature programs are Road to 100K, which is for people that are making under $100,000 a year, and our 100K Club Mastermind, note the brand name, Redo, we'll talk more about that in another episode, for people that are making and grossing over $100,000 a year. Our programs work towards that mission. 
And one of the first questions that I get when people get on the phone to talk to me about joining one of our two signature programs is, Trish, how long is this going to take? I don't have time for this. I am already swamped. I can't even fit time in for this phone call. I am drowning. Or I love what you're standing for. I love this, but I don't have time to implement it. Let's get clear. We do not support hustle culture. We have a love affair with productivity that is not detrimental to you. We do not sell one asset to the detriment of another. And what I mean by that is we have two big assets. We have time and we have money. And we do not teach you how to make money by having you give up all of your time. OTs are too smart for that. And I've talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you. And I can tell you right now, most of you will always throw time at the problem instead of money. We ask you to pay us so that you can see your business as a money-making machine and which levers to pull and to help you stop up money gaps and to do more of the right things with your time to make money. That does not mean we tell you to work. 80 hours a week. Sustainable businesses run with sustainable CEOs. For your first 100,000K, you've heard me say this, you need to validate yourself and stay open. That's your first job for your first five years or to your first 100,000K. Not more hustle mode because we do not want to break you. 100K plus, your focus changes. It becomes more about seeing what the profit margin is in the bank, more about ensuring you're paying yourself the wage that you deserve, and really building a team and looking at systems. And you need fresh, clear thinking CEO who wasn't just buried in the delivery of the service or the product. You need sustainability. So with all of that, we are kicking off a productivity series. This is episode number one in our productivity series, and it will go, I think, for about seven. And we are approaching this with nuance. Will we have tips and tricks? and hacks and actionable content, of course, because that is what we do here at the OTs Get Paid podcast. We are also ensuring that we approach this with a mindfulness and a thoughtfulness. These are themes that keep coming up in all of my reading and all of my research and that are really resonating with me. And I know, because I'm you, that it's resonating with you as well. The Nagoski sisters have a brilliant book called Burnout. I highly recommend it. It is an evidence-based Bible on burnout and also very readable. And they call our overgiving, our overworking, our tendency as women, especially in a helping profession, who throw time at a problem to solve it, the human giver syndrome. Caring for yourself is not self-indulgent. It is self-preservation, they say in their book, and they say it is an act of warfare. In fact, the series of productivity is something that I've been working on for months, and it will end in an episode about rest as justice and rest as an act of revolution. And that's why our next guest is here. The Nagoski sisters call it the human giver, human giver syndrome, and our next guest calls it the Mother Teresa complex. 
listen up because we discuss the dichotomy of doing good over making money, over being the CEO versus being the helper, or over giving, which we talk about as toxic productivity versus focused action. I am an Enneagram 2-3, so I would love to remind you that I know of what I speak, not only in hearing from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of OTs and running two successful six-figure businesses myself as an OT, I'm also an Enneagram 2, which is a helper. I'm also an Enneagram 3, wing 3, which is an achiever. So to say that this resonates with who I am as a human being <laughs> and who many of you relate to being. Are you falling into this trap? Are you also falling into the Mother Teresa trap? Listen up, because our guest is going to talk about four surprise areas that make up the Mother Teresa trap and hear three things that you can do immediately to stop this behavior. So really actionable, linear, lists. But this is a layered and nuanced and thoughtful discussion, and I can't wait for you to hear more. Our guest is Bessie Graham. She's an award-winning entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience working with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies to bring doing good and making money back together. She has worked in grassroots, sitting in the dirt, working with business owners in the Pacific Islands to the United Nations headquarters in Geneva. She's seen it all. She's working with those who have made it, quote unquote, but haven't found fulfillment. And she helps business leaders put their time, talent, and treasure to work in ways that align with their values. Join us with Bessie. Welcome to Bessie. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you. Bessie, we're going to start with the question we always ask, which is, how do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about you and what you do. So I have built a few businesses over the years, all have a bit of a common theme, which we'll no doubt get into today. But the work really focuses around a passion for business and a belief that business can play a really important role in the world to make the world a better place. It's not just about profit maximization or making lots of money and being disconnected from what we care about. So that's taken different forms over the years. But really, if you looked at what is it that customers are paying me for, I tend to have a few categories. I do advisory work, typically for government or larger funding bodies and things internationally. And then there's more of the consulting work with businesses themselves. And then the beautiful stuff I love, which is the coaching and being a thinking partner for individual business leaders. So that's getting into more of the personal one-on-one -on -one type of work. And tell everybody where you're based. I'm based in Melbourne in Australia. So work across multiple countries and with people all over the world. But yeah, based based here in Australia and really focused, as I said, on that aspect of regardless of what particular business someone has, I'm really excited about helping them think about their business in a way that brings back together the ideas of doing good and making money in the same business model. And that's what we want to lean into. I will say briefly, we have a very international audience and we have many, many people listening from Australia. So I'm grateful you're here. And my hometown of Toronto, Ontario has actually been compared by somebody from Melbourne as having a similar kind of feel. So it's made It does have it. a similar feel. Yes, I've been, been, I have been, yes, many okay. times. Yeah. 
So they were <laughs> right. Well, actually, it's made me want to lean into visiting Melbourne even more. So thank you. Good. <laughs> so tell me then about, uh, we're going to jump into, you know, the meat of this mm. time together. First, I want to ask you about your income and your impact goals for your company for this year, for 2023. So in this year, I have a really targeted focus, if you like, which is around writing my first book. So I'm wanting to capture for over 20 years now, I've had some amazing experiences, worked with some incredible organizations. And I'm at that point where as I look forward to what do I want the next 20 years to look like, part of that answer for me was saying, how do I capture what I've learned and share that with other business leaders so that they don't make the same mistakes I made, but so equally I can help them fast track how impactful they can be in the world. And when I say that, I mean in two ways. The focus for the book and for me next year is really around one aspect is the honouring of that business leader themselves, because too often when we're the person doing the work, running the business, taking responsibility, no one's looking after us. There isn't that beautiful environment of care and nurture being set up to say, are you set up for this long game of the marathon that you are running? How are you feeling? Are you getting the fulfillment that you need? So part of it is to really create that environment and support the individual business leader and honour their role in creating that better world. And then the other part is that desire to really see more positive change and impact in the world itself. So how do I help them be more impactful through their business? So that's the focus in this next year for me is around the writing of that book and not just pumping it out, but really taking seriously that I want it to be an impactful book for very large numbers of, of business owners around the world. Does so that's my a, focus. Does it have a working title? It does. At the moment, I'm looking at Profit, Purpose and Power because I like to confuse people a little bit around things that they think don't go together. So, you know, my big thing is embracing our paradox and contradictions and two things can be equally true. So I want to tease a little bit around those three areas, but that's the working title for now. Well, you know, you can see a giant smile on my face, which others I can see if they are <laughs> in listening mode, because before we pressed record... I was explaining the importance or the reason behind the decision of calling this brand OTs Get Paid because you've just said it in another way, Bessie, that I'd never thought of, which is two things that aren't supposed to go together and that yeah. kind of salty and sweet and that yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is going to be such a great conversation. Well, <laughs> I will say another word that you've used multiple times is impact. And we, yeah. I remind people who are listening that we have three main pillars here at OTs Get Paid. Increasing your profit, that rings a Bessie Bell. Increasing your clarity and increasing impact. And that's really what we're going to lean into. Increasing impact for- Hey Trish. Yes, Ashley? As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and 
needed something this efficient. Okay, so where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. OTs get paid, and then we'll lead into giving Bessie more airtime, is really about, and circles back to the big giant mission of, you know, OTs get paid and Trish Williams Consulting, which is we know that you became an OT to help people. We know that. I, I don't know one person, and I taught at two different universities, that ever at the student level said, I'm going to be an occupational therapist for the big bucks. <laughs> okay. And we never want to lose that. We mm. know that by becoming an OT entrepreneur, most of you felt that I know I can do more if I work for myself. I can have more freedom and I can have more impact on what my life looks like. And additionally, how much more impact you can have on clients, whether you were fed up with the you know, universal healthcare system or insurance or whatever the case may be, or you had all these ideas and you wanted to implement them. So this is a really important piece of our pillar. And one of the things that I love about Bessie's work is really talking about that two things can be equally important. And that is that we can help people and we can also get paid to do it. And you talk about the Mother Teresa complex, and that's really what I'd love for you to explain to everybody right now. Yeah, so it's such an interesting shared experience, I think, for so many of us. So as you said, whether it's a specific component of your an OT and you've gone into that wanting to help people and share and, and improve their lives, or if it's in an environmental area and someone set up a nonprofit, all of these aspects where there is that idea of purpose or impact related to contribution rather than just impact being about scale of business or legacy related to money, when we're talking about it related to that sense of contribution, one of the pieces that is deeply in us and is a pattern that's been modelled, so for most of us it's not necessarily conscious but it's something that we've seen and then taken on board, is some of these factors which, you know, I'm a bit cheeky and call it the Mother Teresa trap and we talk about cheeky. these different we love, I love cheeky, being cheeky. Get paid. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think um, it's your birthright as a good in to prod. Yeah. Oh, true. That's right. <laughs> I agree. That's right. Goes back to being a convict, you know. Exactly. Where... <laughs> we got sent here for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, bring it forward now and, and just own it and celebrate That's it. That's right. So, yes. Yeah. So, the, the convict in me wants to actually just call out this tendency. So for me and my family growing up, there's this deep Judeo-Christian tradition, particularly for women of martyrdom, of kind of that your role is to serve and look after your family and be a good wife and mother and you should put everyone else first and yourself last. And I have always been conscious of that. So I'm a deep introvert. I'm very reflective. I observe and, you know, watch and pick up these things. But one of the things that was interesting for me was despite how aware I was of that family tendency and that martyrdom, when I had kids, 
I still fell into it. I, I remember saying to my partner, I will not, you know, do the martyrdom. And I found myself very <laughs> regularly falling into that. And it's very easy to do. And so I think whether we look at it related to the tendency towards martyrdom in our personal relationships or in the professional setting, it is worth calling it out. And I've, I've in conversations with you before this talked about that aspect of there is also the reality to look at the gendered aspect of that and the tendency that that will be more likely to be a pattern for you to fall into or a trap if you have had that experience in terms of the, you refer to it as that female identified experience. But so if, if you have moved in any of those kind of circles or had roles that boxed you in that way, there's probably a tendency towards this. And so the piece that I like to draw people's attention to when we think about the Mother Teresa trap is there's there's four components. So if we flip from wanting to be there's people who are thinking about their business or running an organisation and thinking about that of like, how do I be efficient and scale it and make lots of money? And then if suddenly you jump into a different category, so if we go back to that human tendency to go from one extreme to the other, if we jump into the category of saying, I want to contribute, I want to make a difference, I want to serve people, some of the traps that then I've seen and the patterns that come in that space, one is around a saviour complex. So I'm, I'll go into each of them, but I'll just run you through the, the four at first. So we there's a, a saviour complex. There's the idea of unhealthy power dynamics. There is a romanticising of suffering that tends to happen. And then there's a cult of the heropreneur. Now, that is going to look slightly different for each of us, but these are the things that when I look particularly over the last 20 years and I see, oh, I've seen that pattern, I've seen that come up, that's how I would structure in my mind those common tendencies. So you may have one of them, might have two or three, but I would encourage you to just sit with and think about what tendencies do you have in this space. So if we look at the saviour complex, and this might at first seem strange to hear because you might think, um, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm. I'm genuinely trying to help. I'm trying to contribute. But the aspects around being aware of a saviour complex is that we can unintentionally come in and see ourselves as the answer. So we can, you know, both take on the responsibility, which is exhausting for us, but also begin those steps towards this tricky and unhealthy aspects that are going to come up in the power dynamics part of feeling like this person has a problem, I have the solution. So I'm I'm coming in, I will <laughs> tell you what you're doing wrong, how to fix that. And it begins this aspect that when we think about the long-term sustainability of us as practitioners or OTs or anyone who is going to be interacting and, and trying to help and you know, if you if you look at some of the aspects around codependency and things, that help word is a tricky one. <laughs> but the that piece of the saviour complex, so being conscious that you're not coming in and putting, you know, an off-the-shelf solution or something that you've already decided is someone's problem and how you will fix it into the mix. That then starts to lead us towards this second piece around those unhealthy power dynamics. So even when we are 
attempting to be helpful. You know, for me, I've done a lot of work in the aid and development space and across the Pacific Islands and in different countries around the world. And this power dynamics piece is really important to be conscious of because when we think we're helping, but if we are not tuned into the fact that you might be asking someone a question of it might be around pain levels or what do they have access, all these different things, and if they feel like they are not in a position to be honest with you or if there's a right or a wrong answer or they'll be punished or not given access to something depending on their answer, you can blindly think you're helping or addressing underlying issues and you're actually not getting the information you want. So the the power dynamics piece, and do tell me, Trish, if I'm trying to make sure that as I think about these, they're not just related to business in general, but they're yeah, I'm gonna, for an not, OT, they're, yes. they're kind of slightly different, right? After you're finished um, these two examples, I can put it through the OT filter. Yeah. In a minute. So keep that, going on the that second would be good. example. Yeah. But the, because there are different components and I'll, again, to, to reflect back some of the pieces where someone has had more of that business mindset these four traps can have massive overlays of ego and other issues that could be quite different for someone coming from an OT perspective. So I am conscious of that. But yes, so the power dynamic, regardless of whether we're coming from that big ego place or from a place of wanting to care, there are still power dynamics at play in every interaction. And you need to be aware of those to make sure that you're not making assumptions or there's not unintended consequences happening related to that that power dynamic between you and the person you're working with. Already, like, I'm a fast talker. And already I feel like slowing down my speech. You have a beautiful way of your your cadence is very appropriately matched for this topic. And my brain is slowing down in the sense that what you're presenting to me and I know for others that are listening is really, really important. So let's talk about these two points before we go further. From an OT perspective with regards to that unhealthy power, we have been trained beautifully, I might add, in client-centeredness and what is culturally appropriate. If I were closer to research, current data, I don't pretend to be. I'm not a prof anymore, and I've almost been in OT now for 29 years. So I know there's people out there that are listening that are quoting the studies or talking about, you know, what they wrote their thesis on. I I don't feel the need to know everything. However, I know a lot of you are thinking that OTs are better trained than many people in this space, and I still think it's so important for us to remember because no matter how you know, aware you are of dynamics and aware of cultural differences, et cetera, et cetera, there is that in place. And often even we see that with, well, I see it in my business and OTs that have businesses online are even recognizing the difference in the RAND, for example. We have a lot of people who are in South Africa and wow. they're saying, you know, these prices just can't translate for us. Or somebody in a, you know, I saw somebody that did a special for, I believe it was like any country that had like a third tier GDP to ensure that they could get that type of training that they were offering as well. And in terms of number one, the savior complex, Mm. I think this is, I mean, we could have an entire episode on this, you know, 
for the OTs that are listening, I know that we have a job, Bessie, because there is a problem for the most part. There is the occasional occupational therapist who's leaned into health promotion, right? Mm. There is the occasional occupational therapist who is doing something and, you know, offering products in something, you know, very different. This also brings to mind traditional marketing, which is problem-based, right? You know, agitate their pain point. Say that you are the only person that can solve it, as opposed to what we've talked about in some previous episodes, which is that movement-based marketing. What is your mission? What is your manifesto? What is your vision? And yet for the more traditionally serviced, serving OT, they're going to bring, and I often use pediatrics as an example, Bessie, because that's what I did for years and years clinically. And, you know, a parent is not typically going to bring a child and pay money or access their insurance or government money or whatever, if there's not a problem, right? Now there is a massive swing, appropriately so, in the direction of a strengths-based approach in therapy. That's a therapeutic term. I was even talking to somebody today who said, that's all fine and dandy, except again, if you are linked or roped to an insurance company, to be reimbursed for your services. Insurance companies don't wanna see strengths-based documentation. <laughs> they don't care. In fact, they'll likely deny you because again, to use pediatrics, nobody cares that Johnny has excellent visual perceptual skills if he's still, I don't know, having feeding issues, let's say, or massive meltdowns or whatever the case may be. And one more point, and maybe you could speak to this actually, Bessie, is that there is a massive piece uh, i don't know what word to use even here but there is a, a there is a difference that's coming up for me between like a coach and a consultant somebody mm -hmm. who walks alongside you versus somebody who tells you what to do yeah i just did a launch for my group program and quite a number of people were saying well how is your training different what am i going to learn that's different what are your horses look like that's different and multiple times I'd say, that's not really at the heart of it. I mean, people, people buy, they think they need more information. Yeah. And what there's too much think, you need to, yeah, absolutely. What do you think they need? Well, I mean, I think there's some really lovely work around things like the idea of the attentional economy. So the idea okay, that, I don't know that term. We, this is not, we, when we think of call an era something when people say this is the information age, it's like, no, no, you name an age after what is most valuable and lacking <laughs> and in high demand, right? Okay. This is not an information age. This is an attention. Like it's an age of attention. What we need and lack and will pay money for is the targeted focused attention to strip out all of that other noise and focus on what is most important to you. It's not an information age. We do not need more information. I will not pay for more information. I will pay for you to curate the massive information out there and tell me the things I need. So that I think, you know, in answer to your question, when someone's saying, what's different about your course? What will I learn here that I won't learn elsewhere? Part of what someone like you or someone like me who has decades of experience that in a specific area, because we mm -hmm. we all have, we, we're not good at everything, right? Mm -hmm. But taking that strengths-based approach, mm -hmm. when you know what your brilliance is and what you bring, 
what I can bring to those I work with and what you can bring to those you work with is you can say, oh, I've seen this. I know the patterns. I've done the boiling down to its essence. And I can say, if you focus in these three or four areas, Mm -hmm. and if we get real clarity here, the pieces that you are seeking and you've been trying to find elsewhere, you will now find them like that. That's it's not about giving you more or the difference. It is about that curation and the ability to boil down to an essence what it is you need to focus on. Curation. That's how I would respond. I agree. And you know, that is something that people pay for. And also, those of you who are listening, please lean into that in your business and in yourself. Curate your own life, curate your own workday. And that's more valuable. The more generic you are, the more you'll just be compared to everyone and you give surface level and there's no actual value that someone goes, oh, that's distinctive and I will pay for that. I I totally agree. And, you know, I mentioned this in the introduction. This is really important. I see many frantic occupational therapists call me And my intention is not to sell you something to decrease that frenzy. In fact, I would probably be very careful before I would sell you anything if you come in in that heightened state. I don't Mm. want you in that heightened state. And it often comes from a lack of clarity. It comes from not being able to pay yourself. And it also comes from feeling like they've got something so impactful for the world. And yet we're really beginning to approach this in a new way and this won't be the first time we have this conversation and i have to say like i'm pretty transparent give me five seconds because i want people to understand where i'm coming from in this conversation i am the eldest of three children (laughs) the girl so you already know who i am my mother mentally very very unwell i talk about this a little bit in the podcast she had a very significant diagnosis which taught me to think in black and white Mm-hmm. For years, you, you'll like this, Bessie. For years, I had a, a post-it note on my mirror for maybe two years that said, embrace the gray, because I had never been taught that that was a healthy place. And as many people know, I'm also an Enneagram 2, 3, which is helper and go-getter and achiever, I guess is the right word. And so I'm learning along this with everybody. I am definitively not the expert with any ego in this topic. And you're going to hear more conversations about other books that I've read, etc. Because what are we missing if we don't do this work, Bessie? Well, I think there is an aspect. So even with those first two areas around the savior complex and the unhealthy power dynamics, for example, even when we make them specific in the way that you have for the OTs, What we're missing if we don't think about these things is that as a human, we have bias. We have unconscious things we've taken on. Our own experience and filters are playing out how we even read a situation and what we see as an issue. And so these pieces are critical for us to stop and actually just ask some questions reflect and then be quite intentional moving forward on some of those behaviours. Because again, it can be things as simple as 
the way that you come across. So if you're on Zoom in COVID when we were suddenly on Zoom all the time, mm. I was doing this thing where if I was in a rush, I would quickly just throw my hair back and, mm-hmm. and tie it up. And I thought I was being more casual and relaxed because I was just messy and putting my hair back. Mm. And I had a client who 12 or 18 months in said to me, oh, I found you so scary at first because you had this really harsh pulled back hair. Interesting. I said, and I said, oh my goodness, it was casual and messy. It wasn't pulled back. <laughs> like I, like to me, that was how, but it was giving her a very different vibe. So like very small random things can change comfort levels or how someone then interacts. The same goes for uh, with some work we were doing in Papua New Guinea and there's significant uh, gendered gaps around gender-based violence and access and businesses being run, et cetera. And we were running again with good intentions, these workshops and courses to train small and medium enterprises to run, actually work on their business model more and do all of this work. But what I didn't realise when you think about some of the bringing in and saviour complex and unhealthy power dynamics, I had picked a location that was safe, but we were running workshops at night because I was projecting an Australian thing of you're at work during the day, I don't want to interrupt that, so we'll run the workshop at night. But it wasn't safe for women to come out at night. Mm. So then you are training men and we're actually increasing the gap between female-owned and male-owned businesses. So I'm just using those as two different examples. One, a kind of silly physical one of my hair, and then Mm -hmm. one around a more significant aspect where you thought you were helping, but you're actually just embedding an existing gap. And so those are two different examples around the importance of, of making conscious the things that are just taken for granted or assumptions that we're making based on our own experience and and what we have been exposed to. Yeah, so I think that's sort of where I would go with that. Thank you. Can you tell us about point three and four in your outline for the Mother Teresa complex? So the romanticised suffering piece, and it's interesting hearing you talk about from, say, that medical or insurance perspective, this need for there to be a problem to justify us actually being paid or or someone seeking out help. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when we think about it related to the trap of this Mother Teresa aspect or way of thinking, it's that if we frame an issue or the way we run our business around this problem in a sense of there's this idea, I don't know whether you've heard, around poverty tourism so people oh, basically big, boy oh boy big i don't challenges. talk about this publicly it drives me yeah nuts and talk about a shift five years yeah. ago seven years ago well maybe a little longer i would have thought that was divine yeah, yeah and this I is the thing because again it's at tuning in a bit more being a bit more conscious mm-hmm. so the the piece that so if we go to that sort of extreme example mm. the challenge with doing that is that when then all of the photos i use and the marketing and the ways that i get you to give me money need to have dramatic mm. images of suffering and someone else's deprivation i have set up a dynamic where actually it's not in my best interests to really address and eradicate that issue 
because mm. that's how my business model works or that's how I get funded. So let's make that a bit more specific for in, in your example around the OTs. There's still this aspect of from a mindset, if you fall into the trap of saying, well, I have to just talk about the problem because that's the only way a client uh, will actually come and work with me. So as a customer, they're only going to pay if there's a, you know, they're all busy and unless the kid has a problem or they are in pain or, you know, unless there's this aspect, no one will come to me. Or unless I can focus on the problem I'm solving, their insurance won't pay for it. That's a version of this same thing where you set in motion language, imagery, marketing, your communications that are just all about the suffering and the that aspect of it. And what I would encourage you to do in the setting of starting to bring back together in a more healthy way these ideas of doing good and making money is that we have to be aware of audience. So if you are speaking to someone and it's the initial exposure to you and why they would come in and start to spend some money as a customer, maybe there is components that are driven around the reduction of pain-based issues. So here's your problem. Here's how I can solve it. If you're talking to an insurance company, yes, you're going to need to use language that is talking about the solving of a problem. But we don't have to only speak in one way. And there is a much richer relationship we can be having, whether it's the way that you do your podcast or whether it's in the emails you send out to people once they are already a customer. You can then start to have this much broader, more holistic sense of how you serve them as a full human and wanting them to be able to experience life more fully. And that will not only create more stickiness as a customer in terms of recurring revenue and you being the OT they'll come to rather than just comparing you to anyone that's convenient or nearby, but it's, no, I'm drawn to you. So it will have the beautiful win-win of it makes you more human. It makes them drawn and connected to you feeling like, oh, you actually see me and how hard it is to parent these kids and I want them to be more than just surviving. I want them to actually be thriving children and I want to not feel so overwhelmed as a parent, you know. So like whatever those things are in the particular area you work in, it creates that win for the the actual impact that you're having in those people's lives. And the consequence for your business is that they're going to stick around and, and they will be a recurring recurring customer for you. So I think it's actually that idea of the romanticizing suffering fits really nicely with a shift to think about your business differently as an OT and to start to see that these pieces, not only are they not actually mutually exclusive or offensive to each other, like the making money bit isn't offensive if you are a carer and a giver, it's actually that by bringing them back together, it enables you to serve those customers better. It enables you to have confidence that you will not burn out in the process or end up in a position where you don't have enough cash flow yourself to fulfill your needs as and your family's needs. So when we design our business in that way that brings them back together, they actually are more fulfilling from that contribution sense as well as reducing the stress and pressure on us financially. I agree. And before we go to point number four, I do want to reflect on what I hear OT saying, which is I couldn't charge 
that price, whatever X price is, because it wouldn't be fair. Or I want to make sure I travel as far as I can in my car to be able to serve somebody where they're at, even if that's spending so much of your valuable time. Uh, what other things came up for me when you were saying that? Um, I need to be able to serve everybody. We alluded to this a little bit because they need my help. And again, Bessie is just doing like this exemplary job at putting things into words that I haven't been able to, thank goodness. I tend to have more kind of maybe black and white answers. <laughs> Embrace the gray. <laughs> that theme is coming up. Um, the answer isn't, there's more to the answer than because you also have worth as an OT and you deserve to get paid. There's more depth to what Bessie's answers are here. And I'm, I'm so appreciative. So this romanticizing the suffering, being aware of the audience, increasing that, you know, design your business in a way mm. are, are just really important points that you've brought up that I want people to hear. And if okay. we go to that aspect before, just before we jump into the, yeah. the fourth one, with your examples there, because I have for decades worked with people that have those exact same responses mm -hmm. around, I didn't get out of bed in the morning to make money. Mm -hmm. I serve this particular group of people or I want to see this outcome for, the, for these mm -hmm. people and they can't afford to, to pay for that, right? So that all of those objections and statements I've heard many times as well. Good. But if you think about your own experience, where have there been aspects where you've either in a pro bono sense given something to someone for free because you've made an assessment that they couldn't afford it. And so you've said, no, no, I, I want to help you. I'll do that for free. Or you've given someone a massive reduction in price and you've done the massive drive for an hour and a half to make sure you serve them. And so you've <laughs> done all of those giving pieces. And then you've made a comparison to someone who actually it was a real stretch for them to pay, but their level of engagement and then doing the follow-up work and thanking you and tuning in and, and actually getting incredible outcomes compared to the person who there was actually no commitment or discomfort because you made it so easy for them. And then they're not doing their exercises between sessions. They show up late. They don't respect your time. What I would encourage people to just even maybe sit down and journal and think of some examples. I know myself when I've run programs and given full scholarships, people do the, oh, I've got basketball this week. I can't come. Oh, yeah, I didn't have time to. And then someone else who I know is broke and pays for the to participate will give me a gift at the end and say, this has just been. Now, we have to remember those things because otherwise we are actually robbing people of getting the outcome that we say they need right? in our own. And it does this blurs into the cult of the heropreneur. We may not think of ourselves as this big ego-driven person who's at, but it's a version of ego to think someone needs me. Nobody else could possibly help them. It's me that's going to solve this problem. They can't afford it. I'm coming in. That is a version of the saviour complex mm -hmm. and the heropreneur in those really unhealthy power dynamics it creates, right? So it kind mm -hmm. of blurs in a way that we may not have thought of ourselves, but if we're honest if we behave with people like that, there is this aspect that we're saying, 
I am the only answer to this problem Mm -hmm. and I am setting myself up as that heropreneur, which is not a true or useful piece. So the much healthier way, as you were describing yourself, is that aspect of being clear on where you do add value, the experience and expertise you bring and how that can show up and be useful for people but not needing to fall into these traps where suddenly it is very black and white and it is very actually focused on you as the solution and you as the person who who has the answers to it all. So I think that's probably a really strong and unexpected aspect that OTs would probably feel because I think, oh, I'm not someone who would fall into that heropreneur category, but we're actually making it all about us when we think someone needs us and they couldn't possibly pay we are reducing the chance they'll get the outcome we want mm-hmm. because all true. of us know when you buy in, when you yep. when it hurt a bit, when you committed, you're going to do the work. Mm-hmm. So, th- so those things are just, as you said, we could have hours and hours of conversation know, on each of them. But, <laughs> but at, at the high level, those four pieces, I think they are just as relevant for an OT and someone coming from that desire to care and give as they are for someone who has been running a business and is now wanting to contribute and needs to be aware of falling into those traps. Wow. So good. Okay. I have a question for you and I don't know the answer. So hopefully I have an answer. Let's see. I think you might. Okay. (laughs) So one of the things that I recommend in a less eloquent way is same, same, by the way, you know, if you, uh, yes, I mean, what you pay for you value and people will lean in and we need most therapists I know in the therapy that they do in the business that they're in, you need client buy-in and family buy-in and supportive community buy-in in order for there to be a change, an important functional, what we would call an, a change in their occupational performance. And I know you want that for your people and they need to pay for it because that actually has them show up more. So, This is my question, Bessie. One of the things that I recommend and I have done, there were times in my brick and mortar, sorry, I'm a lousy interviewer because I ask very run on questions. So hold on, I'm running on for a second. When I had my bricks and mortar, we had, again, like you said, some scholarship programs, we had a sliding scale on occasion, and sometimes we had a formal way of deciding that and sometimes we didn't. I don't have that anymore. What I have now is making enough money to be able to donate to a mission and a charitable organization that fits our mission of empowering female, female identified entrepreneurs. Okay, I'm actually really kind of scared to ask this question. Am I doing harm? Am I falling into any one of these four traps, the savior complex, the unhealthy power dynamic, romanticizing suffering, or being a heropreneur? by donating gross profits from my business in that way? So there's probably two things I would think of. I'm actually really nervous for the answer. When we go to that. Okay. That's right. No need to be nervous. Okay. The, The first is that in some ways to know whether you're falling into any of those traps, I first need to know how you've landed on the organization that you're donating to because a bunch of whether that's playing out depends on how they are having impact in the world, right? So one of the challenges with making that shift that you've talked about where you've said, okay, I'm not bringing all of these components of how I do good inside the business. I'm externalizing them by giving away profit to another organization. 
One of the challenges with that is most people think that giving away money is easy, but to Mm -hmm. give away money well is actually really time consuming and difficult, right? So there isn't a neat answer for me to give around whether the actual giving is having a bunch of unintended negative impacts in the world. So for example, with something as important as supporting female entrepreneurs, if that's happening in contexts, whether it is in Canada or in um, an emerging market somewhere, depending on the context that those female entrepreneurs are in, I've seen programs that go in and train women and then actually increase significantly domestic violence issues when they go home because you've actually made a male partner be even more threatened by his partner's progression and ability to earn money. That's an unintended consequence. So someone could sit at home and congratulate themselves, pat themselves on the back that I've helped, and yet you've actually in an unintended way created a whole bunch of other issues because it was an organisation that did not understand the context they were operating in, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other conversation. But so my first response around the the externalising of the good Mm. is that you have to really be thoughtful on two levels. One is making sure you're clear on the alignment of, as you already know, like here's what we care about as an organisation or Mm. I care about as an individual if you don't Mm. have a team. And so I'm wanting to make sure if I am giving a donation, there's a logical thread that connects. Mm -hmm. Of course, Bessie would give to that cause Mm -hmm. because that aligns with what she cares about in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first piece. Does it align and have you got clarity on what what you're trying to contribute to in the world? And then the second part related to that externalization of the doing good is the research into that organization you're giving to and how do they show up in the world? Have they, one of the other pieces I talk a lot about is the idea of apprenticing with the problem. Have they apprenticed with the problem or have they just jumped in with good intentions and they're causing a whole bunch of harm because they don't actually know the context they operate in? So that's my response around the externalizing of the good. The challenge I would give you around this broader idea of doing good and making money in the same business model is that where I would love each and every person who is running a business to get to, so for yourself, for me, for each person listening, I want business leaders to get to a place where even if all you ever did was break even, you are contributing and making the world a better place just by your business operating and existing in the world. The donation of profit is icing on the cake bonus. If we're honest about the level of profit most of us are going to have in our businesses, that's never going to be a massive amount anyway. And so the bulk of your money, I always talk about time, talent and treasure, the bulk of those things are actually going into the business, the day-to-day, the interactions with customers, and I want you to focus on that. So do the thinking to make sure if you're giving a donation, it's aligned with what you want to be contributing to and that the people you donate to are doing great things in the world. But spend more of your time thinking about that business model. And it is nuanced. So if we go back to your piece of sit in the grey, I would encourage you to think about the fact that the doing good piece isn't limited to do you have some scholarships or some lower price points so a different type of customer can interact with you and and be served by your work? 
it may be that the biggest way you could do good in the world is by how you're treating your staff. If you have a team, it could be that you say, actually, when I look at my business, the bulk of the money I spend is on our team. And they are stressed, anxious, overworked, going home with their nervous system completely dysregulated and causing a whole bunch of issues. If I just ran this business well and got really tuned in on looking after them more and their well-being, two things would happen. Let's go back to the win-win. That could become my focus of how I do good through my business. And when I do that well, not in ways that it's like they can have whatever they want and it's going to, and my business can't sustain it, right? So I'm not saying, again, let's not go to extremes. We're sitting in that gray, the messy middle of both and. If that becomes where I spend more of my time of thinking about how does this particular business do good in the world? As I do that, I will see reductions in turnover, reductions in sick days. I will see less costs around having to train and recruit new people. The magic on the, so that's savings, right? In the back end of your business model, you will see this reduction in a whole bunch of costs. But in the front end of your business model, you will suddenly have team and staff who are showing up for your customers better, who are energized, who are giving off this much better vibe when they interact rather than being exhausted and going, I'll just get to pump people through and I, you know, I'm not even engaging. And so they will have the flow on effect of improving your customer's experience, which will drive revenue into your business. So you will have from the business side, both cost reductions and increases in revenue. And from an impact side or the contribution, the doing good, you will have team who come to work and love it, who feel fulfilled, who are back to enjoying their interactions with a customer, who go home energized, not depleted, who are able to sustain this and love what they do, right? So that the bigger answer to your question is that can be icing on the cake, but let's look at your business and every business is different, but let's find those areas and focus there and say, what would my business look like? if I was doing good and making money in the same business model and keep tweaking it and playing with it until both those things are in a better place and where they are becoming mutually reinforcing rather than, oh my goodness, as soon as I do this bit, the financials don't stack up. Or as soon as the financials stack up, I'm actually taking advantage of my customers and my team. We don't want that kind of business model. Agreed. Yeah, I need to hire you as my copywriter because you say things better than I do. I say them in a more like blunt way, which is, and I do say this all the time, and thank you so much for putting such eloquence to it, Bessie, which is, I know for a fact, even if I haven't spoken to you, even if you're an OT out there, that you're like, but Trish, my business is so different from anything you can conceive. I know to my toes that you are running a business that is based on good intention and influence. You already have that impacted. When I talk about things abruptly or maybe frankly about, you know, money and paying yourself so that you don't get burned out, I love your beautiful, beautiful way of talking about that team. It's it's encouraging you to lean into those next steps. It's ensuring that you are not becoming trapped in 
you know, a typical female misogynist kind of place as a helper so that you can continue to do good. I want people to hear what Bessie has said. I believe that you have a business set up in this way already. And, you know, I make fun of Jeff Bezos going up in rockets and even this weekend, I'll lean into it. I'll say it this weekend. I remember looking at my partner and saying like, gosh, I'm a little nervous to say this out loud too, but you know, like Elon Musk could probably eradicate, I don't know anything about climate change, but I bet he could probably become a hero, talk about a heropreneur of the entire world by using most of his money to solve climate change. Like I really think he could. And these are the things that get me like hot under the collar. You are not Elon Musk OT listener. You are not Jeff Bezos OT listener because you inherently have a business model. That is one that Bessie is talking about. Really the intention of today is to encourage you and to lean into that reflection piece. And we will be talking more about the self-care of the entrepreneur and really important topics around that because we don't want your helper place and your helper business to get in the way of growth and using that money however you want to use that money which we know you're probably going to use for impacting your team your family people come to me all the time bessie and say if i made more money i would pay my team more like of course you would right so i just there's so many themes that I've talked about here, Bessie, that are running under what you've said in just such an elevated, more in a way intentional way. So thank you so much. And can I pick up on that a little bit? Because two Please. of the things that you've said there, so one around the OTs that you work with, and this happens to me as well, mm. having that response. So if someone, let's talk directly to you as the listener who's mm. sitting here listening to this. If you're feeling like this is all well and good, but my business is different, my situation is unique and different. The piece that then I want to tie into the examples that that Trish just gave around Elon Musk or Bezos is I personally don't actually feel a need to say Elon Musk should be focusing on climate change or someone else should care about plastics in the ocean. What I want to encourage you about as the person who is an OT with your particular nuances and areas of expertise is that what the world actually needs is for each of us to care about what it is we care about, be very intentional and clear on that and and on what we want to be part of contributing to in the world and then figure out what those steps are that move us from where we are mm-hmm. to where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Because if we take on board what Bessie says or Trish says or or that Elon Musk should care should about climate not. change, yeah. mm-hmm. he will not actually show up in the same yep. way because he's not really that obsessed about it. So <laughs> he's all less those obsessed about his business than I am. So, so those kind of crazy aspects of his unique brilliance. Mm show up when he is committed to the thing he's working on. Mm -hmm. When it's a bit of a distraction or it's only of interest, you probably, well, not probably, you definitely don't want him mucking with it, right? So whatever your unique piece is, whatever it is that in you is starting to stir that, no, but you don't understand my specific situation. Okay. 
but you do. So mm-hmm. sit down and take the time to be really clear. The clarity pieces I always w- would want you to have, the foundational aspects of be really clear on your own values, how you behave, how you make decisions, those aspects of what you care about. When you have clarity on that, and then the second piece you need clarity is on that vision of what do you want to be part of? What do you want to contribute to? What's that future state vision? When you're clear on those two things, you're grounded in those values, you are moving towards that vision. That's what you want. And I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like for your business. Someone like me can help you in a bespoke way by having the conversations and helping draw it out of you. But it's not for me, it's not my place to come in and tell you what it looks like for an OT business. The same with Trish, it's not, that's not how she's going to operate, but she can help draw that out and bring that clarity out of you. So no one is forcing onto you an off-the-shelf answer or solution to this. We understand the uniqueness of where you are, but that uniqueness is actually what is going to set you up to succeed in a sustainable way for you, that your energy will stay in the mix and that financially will be sustainable as well. So I just want to encourage you around thinking about it like that. I love that. Thank you so much. Bessie, would you mind answering some rapid fire questions at the end? Yes. And I'll try and be rapid. Sorry. I know. I was going to say. No, (laughs) you have this way. Okay. So you remind me are you ready for a little bit of a rabbit hole? You remind me Always. of my elementary school librarian. Oh. And you know what? It's so weird because I don't remember her name. I'm going to have to find a friend of mine from elementary school. Because there are certain cadences and there are certain voices in the world that are kind of like, they just hit your amygdala your midbrain in a way. And your voice is like that to me, your cadence. I don't feel you're on rapid fire. I feel your brain is always going, but I feel like your delivery is, yeah. So thank you. How about we do like medium fire for Bessie? Okay, I'll I'll try and (laughs) pull it back. Because the reason I want to ask you these questions is because you are a female identifying entrepreneur. And also I love hearing about how different people are running their businesses. And also it gets us, allows you to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So Bessie, question number one, what is your biggest personal money splurge? So it was actually a few years ago, I had, there was this beautiful company in Australia called Jimmy Possum that made furniture that was very colourful and stunning and expensive. And I had always wanted a Jimmy Possum chair. And I sort of at the time said, I'll buy it for my 40th. And then I did this massive project internationally that was really stressful and exhausting and it drained me. And when I got back, I said to my partner, I'm not waiting till my 40th. I deserve a Jimmy Possum chair now. And so I bought this stunning armchair that's in my office, which I look at every day. And then I was so thankful I bought it because they went out of business before my 40th. And so now I have my Jimmy Possum chair. So I will, that's literally my stepdaughter has already, I've told her that when I die, it is a family heirloom and it's hers. And it's my favorite possession. Oh, I love that. And you know, I also love the concept and I recommend this to therapists and they don't do it enough, is that celebration of achieving something. And it doesn't have to be a chair. Like some people aren't making chair money, Jimmy Possum chair money, and that's fine. Yeah, It's, you know, 
please add some type of you've spoken about reflection and actually yeah people know this if they've listened to the podcast long enough in alberta where i live we don't need it's a province in canada where i live we don't need typical ceus like we don't need to take a course and submit a number of hours to the college to prove that we're learning that's a very that happens in other places in the world we actually set our own goals and then we are asked and required to reflect upon them as learning objectives how beautiful right yeah. because they know the value in journaling and reflection and you know they ask us to upload some you know evidence but the evidence can be your journal the evidence can mm. be the strategic plan you built on your computer or yeah. the notes that you took on the ot's get paid podcast i mean it really can be that. It's, it simple. can be that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to just because that, that's a good point. So let's bring it down to because you're right. There's not always a but situation. But I'm the chair to buy girl. A, a Jimmy like Possum I am the chair. chair girl. I would buy a chair. I love the chair. Me too. But I have <laughs> I have sitting on my desk. Yes. It's now been there for three weeks. <laughs> I have bought myself a gift. There's a particular administrative task that has been a nightmare for me, and I'm not allowed to open this gift until I finish it. It's been sitting on my desk for three weeks. I can't wait to open it. Of course I know what it is. I bought it for myself, but I'm so excited. It's like because I'm a big tea drinker. So there's this particular company that I love, their teacups, and so I've bought myself a new teapot. And But sitting on my desk, beautifully wrapped, the lady thought I was crazy because she said, is this a gift? I said, yes, for me. And she was like, she said, oh, so, so I won't wrap it. I said, wrap it? Please, you know, wrap it up. I so it's sitting on my desk, but so you, okay. it can be a teapot. You know, it doesn't yes, have to be Yes, what a beautiful massive. story. If I can lean into that for one more moment. See, these are not rapid fire. I, we just both start chatting. Okay, so I'm a single mother. And for the last couple of, well, kind of a long number of years, I've been kind of ticked off that I get stuck with no gifts because my children were young or lousy gifts. I have a small family whatever. Yeah. And every year I kind of try to play possum a little bit. Oh, Jimmy possum chair. I'm like, Hey, uh, here's, and actually this worked well for a few years, guys, I'm going to drop you off at the bookstore. Here's my credit card. Please buy me a book each for my two children. And honestly, it was hilarious. The books they would buy me, it was kind of <laughs> joy filled, but there was a part of me that actually felt missing. I, I have to admit that, but recently, and maybe it's age, <laughs> I have actually done the same thing. And it yeah. was around tea. I found a tea that I wanted. Somebody recommended, and it was. Mm -hmm. I bought the gifted tin. Yes, it's got to be beautiful. And I put it under the tree for myself. And a couple I of years that. ago, I would have felt like so less than, or no, like I was beautiful. trying to fill up holes. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, same. it's that you know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's not good. business related, but I feel like my life has been filled in a way Agreed. that it wasn't before. So. Yeah. And I think you can shift it to your next piece around then the business aspect yes. of that, because the fact is that, um, so if you do, I don't know if you're a love languages person, but on the oh, yeah. love languages, gifts is actually uh -huh. my bottom one, irrelevant. Me too. Me too. I, I don't care. Right? Me too. And so if someone's saying, oh, they're talking about something that doesn't relate. Okay. Me too. Gifts are irrelevant to me. Me too. But when we go into the business piece and it's why on my desk is sitting a reward I do like the acknowledgement and reward. Like if I work hard, achieve a goal, I'm not naturally good at the celebrating. I'm trying to get better at that, but I do love the acknowledgement of a reward. And I'd prefer to buy it for myself so it's something I want because someone else will probably get something I don't want. So that piece I think is important in the business sense yeah. in terms of goal setting. Yes. You don't need to think about, well, I'm not a gift person. Okay, but is there an aspect of the achievement and recognition yeah. 
that comes from that, that actually something as simple as buying yourself a nice teacup to have on your desk each day when you're working, it brings joy and beauty into your day. It can make you smile, but it's also just that, even if it's small, that acknowledgement that says, go you, like you set that goal and you achieved it. I agree. Mm. Tell me about your biggest business related money spend, money splurge, something that somebody else might not spend as much money on for their business that you do with gratitude. So for me, it's been a recent piece in the last few years where, again, I've I've built multiple seven-figure businesses, had boards, et cetera, where I've always felt that sense of people will say they'll support you or, yes, we'll do this and we'll go and do a bunch of interviews and give you some feedback on it. And then no one ever does it, right? So there's all of these pieces where I haven't felt supported or allowed to have the pieces and structures in place that I've needed. What I have shifted to in the last few years is on a business side, actually spending significant money on coaches, mentors, and programs for me Me and saying, that is a good spend. That is expensive. And for example, I'm in Australia and a significant spend on a mastermind that I'm part of where there is the opportunity to multiple times a year be in the US, I fly business class. And it's that piece of, I am saying it is worth me spending money to show up rested and well and able to interact and then come home, but it's expensive. And that that on the business side has been a shift to say, I bring the most value to this business if I am thinking clearly, if I can conceptualise and have been influenced by great thinkers who are at least at, but preferably above where I'm at. I prefer to be the dumbest person in the room because I'm competitive and curious and I want to learn. (laughs) So any room where I'm the smartest person, boring, I'm out. And so that's my biggest splurge from a business perspective. I like that so much. Where do you have paid help in your life? So on the personal front, we have a cleaner, which I love. There was a period of about two years where I cancelled the cleaner and you'll laugh at the reason why I did that. So my children were, I thought they were getting lazy and not having work ethic. And I'm, <laughs> I was, I've had a job since I was 10. My first job was as a cleaner. Oh, um, wow. I used to clean other people's houses. So deprived child here has this work ethic, right? So a few years ago when my kids got to a point where I was like, you are lazy you are messy and I don't like it. So for about two years, I cancelled the cleaner and the kids had to clean. And it was hilarious because when I did that, my youngest son said, are we homeless? (laughs) And I was like, if you think not having a cleaner makes you homeless, this is my point. So until they kind of lifted their game, we went a few years and then I've I've had the cleaners back now. But so on the domestic front, cleaner. Love yeah. it. Actually, and just to give you, okay, again, I think we raise our children with this. I think so many of us do with the same desires for work ethic. And I told my daughter this break, we're recording this before the holiday break. And I she, I said, you know, we're not going to, we live in the mountain. Well, we live beside the mountains. And I said, you know, we're not going to rent a house to ski this year. We can do day trips to skiing. And she goes, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Can I go back to university? <laughs> Okay, well, that's a totally different pile of money. <laughs> I go, 
not renting a ski house. I said, you know, like there's prudence and we're going, we're choosing to spend our money in this place Mm -hmm. and we're choosing to spend our money in this place. And da da da. And she was like, oh my God, does Charlie get to graduate? (laughs) Oh my goodness, don't you love it? And I said, maybe your children need to sit in the gray as well. I know, it's so true. Well, that one. We don't have to go to the extreme. That one does. Love it. That's okay. Great. Our last question for you is if I could wave my magic money wand, Bessie, and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? I would absolutely spend it on very targeted help around PR and marketing to build because one of the things I've never been good at, always good at the face-to-face components of, of business, but I've never been an online business type person. And because my focus now is around the book and I don't want that to be a small run book that five people read, if I'm going to put my heart and soul into it, I want it to be something that actually changes the way businesses are run. Mm. And so I would absolutely channel that funding into the areas around PR, marketing, and really targeted building of a following so that the book could actually be more impactful. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. Well, I'm just so glad we had this conversation. And Me I'm too. just so glad that we align on so much of what I want to share with OT entrepreneurs. One of our values is to walk alongside. I try not to have a power mm-hmm. dynamic. And people like that because I don't pretend I might be a step ahead of some people, I might be half a step. I might be a step behind and make a big mistake. That's okay too. And I feel this alignment together. And I also am so happy to bring somebody in that I feel like can talk about this in a way that I haven't been able to. And I think that it has real value to people that are listening because OTs are so deep. Yeah. And they're so complex and they're so heart centered. And your way of presenting this information is going to allow some people who might not hear it in the way that I say it really understand it because you've you've said it in a in a you've leaned into your zone of genius in the way that you present things and the new ideas that you've brought forth so i'm just so grateful that you have given us this time thank you so much no, oh, I'm so glad. I mean, that's that's what it's about. I just want to plant mm-hmm. those seeds and for people to start to think differently about what's possible. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time.